Come on in to Margaret McSweeney's Kitchen for Kitchen Chat, where every week you'll meet chefs, cookbook authors, foodies, gourmets, and just plain people who love to eat. And along with laughter, chat, recipes, and stories about food, you'll sometimes also hear words of inspiration, love, and hope. As Margaret always says, kitchen chat is food for the senses and food for the soul. So grab a cup of coffee, put your feet up on a comfy chair, and get ready to spend a little time with Margaret and her friends. Hello, dear foodie friends, and welcome to Kitchen Chat. I'm your host, Margaret McSweeney, along with a dear friend, Chef Jamie Larita, who's hosting. And it is just my delight and honor to welcome you into the Viking and La Carnu showroom here at Chicago's Merchandise Mart Suite 136. And what a great show for you to be tuning into today. We are going to be having a kitchen chat with Chef Bill Kim of Urban Belly, and he has a new cookbook out. We have so many fun questions, but welcome to Kitchen Chat. Well, thank you, Margaret. Pleasure to be here. Oh, it's great. And it was so much fun watching you and Chef Jamie Larita cook for a big audience today. Well, let's, let's clear it up. Bill did most of the cooking. Bill did most of the cooking. This is one of the first times that I was able to sit back and have a great chef in our showroom. Bill was actually one of the first few in our culinary series to come into our showroom and show a great group of designers today his stuff and present his new cookbook that we're super excited about. Yes, we are so excited. And what did you cook? And, and maybe we can provide a sneak peek because this is one of the un, well soon to be published and uh, recipe in your cookbook. Can you share with us what was on the menu today? Sure. Um, we started off uh, doing a kale salad that had uh, some fried chickpeas, green papaya. Then we did our version of a quinoa fried rice, but it was actually served cold uh, with an egg omelet seasoned with little fish sauce and little peanut pesto that's from the cookbook. Then lemongrass salmon that was uh, lightly seared and um, marinated overnight, and we served that. Then the dessert was coconut and chocolate together with um, soaked apricots. So, Bill, on the subject of your new cookbook, while we're on that page, pardon the pun, (laughs) we have a copy of your cookbook (laughs) virtually since we gave out the first eight copies. And right here it's called Korean Barbecue, Master Your Grill in Seven Sauces. Bill, first of all, I thumbed through the book, and it was an amazing book in the sense that, you know, just like my favorite cookbooks, easy to use, user-friendly, and talk to us about that aspect of it and the seven sauces. Sure. I think it was a big thing for me. I wanted the wider audience to be uh, able to cook out of the cookbook and be able to use it in their daily cooking. So it wasn't like, I'm cooking Korean barbecue today, so I'm going to use the cookbook. I want to cook, and let me get some of these master sauces that enhance what I do. And everybody has their favorite ingredients. Mine is broccoli and chicken. And sometimes it gets boring. And uh, you're cooking the same thing all the time. So to in order for you to get started from the book, you make these seven master sauces. Then you add and subtract uh, ingredients to make um, many different recipes out of it. And we're proud that some of the recipes that you could make within 10 minutes Wow. wow. Yeah. And I noticed wow. going through the book that your your wife, Yvonne, is a big influence in the book. Tell me about, first of all, a little bit about her, and then tell us a little bit about the fusion of your 
your relationship into the pages of this book? Sure. Uh, Yvonne, my wife, is uh, Puerto Rican descent. So we like to say it's Corican. Corican <laughs> and, and Puerto Rican. Corican. <laughs> so, um, you know, until I met her, I didn't get to taste a lot of Latin flavors. Yes, uh, tacos and things like that, but the Caribbean flavors are so haunting in flavors and just how it comes about like using plantains as a vehicle to make a sandwich. Instead of using bread, use plantain or use plantain to, to make mashed potatoes, but use, use that starchy sweet ingredient. My curiosity of that cuisine started uh, me researching it. And obviously I had to, Yvonne, Likes to eat, but she's not an expert in cooking, so I'll have to go to the next step, meeting her mother. But is she an expert in cleaning, at least? She is the best. Oh, good. The uh, best uh, of cleaning, and, and uh, she helps. But, you know, just meeting her mom and the way she cooked, she cooked like my mom, yes. where it was all from the heart. And uh, And she is in your cookbook, Lola. And I love how you have combined the Thanksgiving turkey with Lola's recipe and yours. Yes. So we have two Thanksgivings at our household. One in the suburbs with my mom. So the Korean American Thanksgiving. Then we drive down back to Chicago and, and we have what's called lechon style turkey breast. Lechon style. Yes. So that means, you know, vinegar, uh, oregano, garlic, and oil. And you just let that turkey breast itself kind of marinate. Then since it's only for four people, we have just enough. And it's just this earthy and fiery. And it's all the things that I love about my wife that comes in. In a bite of turkey breast. Wow. Yes. So you seem to be speaking a lot about your family. And I'm curious, like, I, I want to go back to Bill Kim as a young boy. When and how has your childhood inspired you as a chef? And talk about, um, you know, coming to America and, and all of that. How's that melded together to form your career? Sure. I came here from Korea. When was that? Uh, when I was seven, it's 1977. So during the disco. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and that month was February and it had the blizzard of 77. Wow. It we was, uh, yeah. And so I was just like, is this the real Chicago? This is like what I'm going to be dealing with all my life. Right. But we went into a uh, Indian and Jewish neighborhood. That's where we first landed. So, there was an influence there. Then we went to, after that, we moved to an all, all Italian neighborhood. So another influence. So, you know, all these things as a, a growing kid, it was, I was always the sore thumb that stuck out. I never fit in to uh, our neighborhood. And it wasn't that you were this, were you six foot, however, then? Because that's, you're a tall man. I did my stretching on the monkey bar, so <laughs> my arms are long, and I grew, and I drank a lot of milk when I was little, uh, but... I think you're the tallest Korean man I've ever seen. <laughs> well, you didn't meet my cousins because they're 6'4", six, 6'5". Six, wow. Yeah. You have your own basketball yeah. <laughs> But, you know, all that living in different neighborhoods, really, and that's what Chicago's all about, right. is, yes. is having neighborhoods all around, a couple miles here, a couple miles there, so... That really influenced my cooking and 
and me taking care of my nephews, my brother, um, that kind of took the sense of me taking care of people. And that's what implied cooking meant to me that, um, it's, it's actually taking the time and caring for others. Right. Yes. And that's why I really got into cooking and, you know, these neighborhoods that are in the suburbs and, and in Chicago that really influence what I do because it's always, there are differences, but there's more commonality yes. in ethnic yes. groups. And, and I try to find a common denominator of ingredients in different cultures and apply it to what I do. I can obviously I that. see that, Margaret, yes. through in the cookbook, you could actually see that, you know, you are identifying these ingredients that speak to these cultures. Absolutely. And I love to, Chef, how it's really been on your heart to educate the public about Korean food. And you took the Olympics as an opportunity to introduce your soul food, fried chicken. Yes. And I was just so surprised to learn about the Southern influence within Korean cooking. Could you share with us about that? Sure. I think a lot of it happened in the war, right? Mm. World War II, where a lot of the basic trainings that happened in the States were down in the South. Mm. So a lot of the military personnel actually brought it to Korea, where they were missing some of those elements like the fried chicken or stews or pickling. All that was already there. So it just kind of melded a culture that's from here in the States than what was happening in Korea. And, you know, I think another crazy thing, I don't know if anybody knew, I've actually went and spent a year in Atlanta. And I went down there after graduating culinary school. I wanted to go see the Olympics. And when I got to the South, I'm just like, wow. It's, it's you know, first, I didn't have no blizzard <laughs> yes. down there. So you and, left your coat back. Yes, <laughs> yes. And really... Got to see barbecue in a different way. Uh, got to see fried chicken. I had my first uh, taste of a fried chicken sandwich that was, you know, so different. And tea was ordered unsweetened <laughs> because all the teas are sweetened right. in, in Georgia. Yes. And had my first, like, George peach. Ooh. And it was, uh, my mind was kind of taken to another place. And, you know, that's where I learned how to cook grits which currently in the book, we cook it with coconut milk instead of adding uh, lots of dairy or cheese and um, to how to batter with um, buttermilk instead of using regular milk. And I really started seeing the deep-rooted uh, traditions of the South mm-hmm. for me to apply some of those techniques when I, when I came back to Chicago and really opened my eyes to doing things a little bit differently and I, I try to take these nuggets of information and techniques wherever yes. I went or wherever I trained. Oh, I so, Bill, as far as Chicago is concerned, I look at you as one of the pillars in the culinary society here in Chicago. Tell us about your first restaurant and where you are now and how you differ from when you first started to where you are now. Sure. Um, my past started with like building my foundation. Mm-hmm. That was very, very important for me. So I went from high school and I didn't very, I I went one way, no detours, French, uh, graduated culinary school from Kendall college. Then, uh, did my intern at Le Tite de Paris. So really, uh, the French background I 
really wanted to have. Then I worked for a name, uh, a guy named John Bonchet, yes. um, who, who went down to Atlanta for me to follow him, did that. Then um, I was homesick yeah. and I wanted to come back. And I asked a lot of chefs, where would you work? And they all kind of pointed at this white townhouse building on uh, 816 West Armitage. Hmm. And I had no clue what that was, but they all pointed that way. So I went to a restaurant back then. It wasn't well known, but it still was, but it was called Charlie Trotters. And, mm. and I spent uh, almost close to four years the first time around. Then um, I came at the right time because nine months later, he came out with his first cookbook, uh, Las Vegas MGM. He opened up another restaurant than just what an amazing, wow. what an amazing yes. chef, what an amazing restaurant. Yes. I had the good fortune of having, when I came out with my first cookbook, Plenty, we had the cookbook, uh, the launch party in the kitchen. I got to eat in the kitchen and meet Charlie. What an amazing man. Yeah. So as far as, um, as far as your actual restaurants, yeah. uh, talk to us about your first and how that was. Yeah. So we opened up 2008 when, um, economy was not where it needed to be. Mm -hmm. um, we decided it was the best time to open up. So we had a choice either to do fine dining. Well, both me and my wife were trained to do, but yeah, because your bond is yeah, front of the house. She did front of the house. So he's like, you know what? We could do whatever we wanted to do, but mm -hmm. I came at a point in my time, uh, in my life that I wanted to do food that I was raised with. Also, we wanted to put the proper techniques, but we said to ourselves, good food doesn't have to be expensive. Yes, mm -hmm. So the whole idea is to go to a location. And the, the idea was we will build it and people will come. We and, sure did. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so 24 seats. It was in a in sandwich in between a strip mall, uh, in a strip mall between uh, a dry cleaner's and basically a laundromat and it was called urban belly and it came about and it was me and two other people in the kitchen and Yvonne and another person in the front of the house. And that was it. And it was counter service, counter service. It, there was nothing that was out there that was counter service and served that way. And, uh, well, when we go into your restaurants, yeah. I can say that I'm a huge fan of your restaurant and, um, the original one is still, you know, the one that people remember because there was an energy there that still exists in your bigger restaurants mm -hmm. today. Let's talk a little bit about restaurants and restaurant energy. Like <laughs> it's um, and consistency. Yeah, consistency. Yeah. Yes. That's a yes. great, that's a great point, Margaret. Yeah. It's, I, I think people forget that a restaurant is not just about food. It's about people. We're in the people business and it's people who are coming in or people who work with you. And if we don't have great people, the restaurant would not exist. So that's number one. And to, to keep it positive and nurture people and let them grow within uh, our operations and, you know, give that clear uh, transparency throughout restaurants. So, Three things that we always like to do have metal, have some kind of greenery and, and wood. Ooh. And I could also add glass so we could see through it. 
So light, airy, and also the third thing All the is elements. feminine. Ah. We wanted to keep it feminine. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's, that's very obvious as yeah. a designer and as a chef. You can go into uh, the restaurant, and all those elements are very clear. I love the design. There's one um, that one huge photograph of the horse race that you have. Yes, that that to me, what is? Is there any significance behind that? Sure. Um, so the room you're you, what you're describing is um, belly cue, belly cue, um, and it divides urban belly and belly cue together. But you know the space is very airy, transparent. And, and large, and in order for us to interject energy, when you go into a horse race, when you hear that thundering oh, yeah. of the horses, you, you, you <laughs> give that energy, and plus my wife loves horses. So that that is her passion. And, just and to, yeah. you have a great friendship and connection with Chef Edward Lee in yes. Louisville, Kentucky, <laughs> and he does a lot, of course, with Churchill Downs and uh, the Kentucky Derby. So I've got to tell you a, a small story. So Ed and I met probably six years ago, and he's like, oh, why don't you come down to the Derby? I was like, I asked my wife. She's like, oh, my God, we have to go. So he let us stay at his house. He's like, I just need a favor. I just need you to help me with this derby day. I was like, no problem. He didn't tell me this is the busiest day out of the year. He worked me to the bone, but we did drive to the derby, went through the stables uh -huh. to oh, get to, wow. saw all the horses pre-race. We got to see all the horses and we got to see the Kentucky Derby. Wow. Yeah, but... That's amazing. That, yeah. Yeah. As a chef, we get to have, you know, myself traveling the world with musicians. You know, as a chef, you get to get a bird's eye view of a lot of these events and places because people, you know, need good food. Yes. Absolutely. But I love that. So the horse and belly cue can always remind you of Derby Day. Yes. That's a very strong photo in that, in that restaurant. It's yeah. beautiful. That is great. I would love to learn about kimchi. Yes. What exactly is kimchi? And I briefly read in your cookbook that people in Korea bury the kim kimchi. I mm -hmm. mean, it's a big ritual and and a very important tradition. Yes. Could you please give us some background on that? Sure. Um, I think what you're talking about, Margaret, in the past, you know, no refrigeration, so a lot of when you bury something underground, it keeps a consistent temperature. Okay. So that's, I think it goes back to uh, the olden days. And actually, when my grandmother first came here, she actually buried kimchi. And I was like, Grandma, we, we have kimchi refrigerators now, so you don't have to worry about that. <laughs> She's with a shovel. Yes. In her, you're like, Grandma, yes. back in. But kimchi something is usually um, people equated with something spicy, okay. uh, something that's fermented. But... Um, now, more than ever, there's probably like a hundred different types of kimchi you could. I call the word kimchi, I use that as a verb instead of a noun. So you could kimchi watermelon, kimchi apples, kimchi pears. You could do all these things, but it's basically, uh, I describe it in a book as I call it the magic paste. And you make this like magic paste out of Korean chili flakes, uh, sesame, fish sauce garlic and that's usually the basis some people use shrimp paste but that is your salt and you salt the item whatever it is uh carrots or celery or onion and you draw all the moisture out then you put this paste on it 
mm-hmm. and you just let that kind of ferment. Or I like to eat it very fresh, which means I treat my kimchi like salsa. Ah. And you never tell somebody how old your salsa is. <laughs> and people brag about how old their kimchi is, which is which is great. Is there a kimchi salsa in the market? Uh, there isn't, but hey. Jamie. <laughs> idea. idea. Yes. yes. But I would buy that. Yeah. So I I like serving my kimchi very fresh yeah. and done. Um, that moment and like to eat and taste all the garlic. We add a secret ingredient that's Ooh. in the book that is fennel. I just feel like the fennel just gives it a earthy fresh. and yeah. fresh yeah. and it pops in flavor. So we add fennel to our magic paste in the book, but that's how we, it's a condiment mm-hmm. that's eaten throughout uh, Korea all over. But my mom, my favorite thing that my mom makes that she kimchi's is kirby's or pickles um, that are fresh that she grows from the garden and she salts the kirby and she makes almost like a vegetable slaw and she puts the magic paste in there and she stuffs it and lets it sit. For I a day. see three products coming up. <laughs> I see the magic paste. I see the kimchi pickles and then the kimchi salsa. Yes. Work. Yes. Now, speaking yes. of that. Bill has some products out of the market as well. Yes. We do. Uh, and it's, it. the word belly means a lot to me. People think it's because I love pork belly. The idea of the word belly means everything starts from the woman's womb. Mm-hmm. We're all born from there. So we have a product called belly soy, belly fire, belly bomb, and belly swang. Belly swang is sweet and sour. So Sweet and sour, so belly swing. So it's our take on a hoisin sauce. That is all natural. And where do you find these products? Uh, currently, we're working on going to a grocery store, uh-huh. but you can find it at local foods and also at all the belly restaurants. Okay. And yeah. what about online? Online, uh, you could order it online through our website. Okay. Yeah. And I noticed that your cookbook is now first. We are the first people to have seen the cookbook today. Yes. It's a gorgeous cookbook. Easy to use, and that can be found on Amazon. Amazon. Yes. You can pre-order Amazon. Uh, it'll be out April 17th, mm-hmm. and we're going to have a pretty big party, and you guys are going to yeah. be invited to Thank the party. So yes. and Bill, it was great to have you as, you know, I love having chefs coming into the Viking showroom, into my Viking kitchen here, because they get to experience not only the environment that we've created here that's very chefy and filled with culinary energy, but what did you think about the products that you cooked on today? Yes. My God, you know, it's... For me, I feel like I'm at home, you know, in, in our kitchen. I feel like now I could say this is our kitchen. Perfect. You know, it's, it's still having that, uh, commercial element to it, Mm -hmm. but it is sleek. It is modern. And man, I wish I had that, that new black and black mat and the rose gold. Yes. My God. Yeah. And the Viking, Viking, uh, he's cooking on the, we cooked on the Viking five series today. And, um, it was a pleasure to have you in our showroom, but I wanted to talk to you really quickly, Margaret too, if you have any other questions for Bill. Yes, definitely. Um, what is your favorite dish that you are like, you know, I know that if I owned a restaurant, I would have something in there that I love to cook and love to serve because it was like my winner. What could, a, what could a person going into your restaurants now that you know if they had that dish, it would be, they would be charged with taste memory? Well, I think it's the original, it's the classic, 
it's the Korean short ribs with braised kimchi. You know, a lot of people think kimchi should just be served cold, but it's the charred, uh, the sweet and sesame flavors of the grilled uh, short ribs. Then you have the little bit of acid from the kimchi, but it still has that lingering ginger flavor. Then we do a chimichurri. It sounds crazy, but we do it with sesame leaves, which is super Korean. And, you know, it's grilled meat, so Argentinian, but we do the kimchi and having that kind of uh, lukewarm chimichurri that goes on top of yeah. made with sesame leaves. Making me hungry. Yeah. Now, Margaret, have you been there? I haven't, We're gonna have and to I go. want We're gonna have to, to go there. have to take you there. You're going to love this restaurant. I would love to Most go. Most importantly, because of the desserts, he hit me with this peanut butter and jelly <laughs> coconut <laughs> sundae. What the heck was that? So it's it's a version of uh, a soft serve. Mm-hmm. So I had, if I was good on Sundays when I was a kid, my mom would take me to the place where everybody goes to. But <laughs> I... I kept on thinking, like, how can we have that Sunday Ooh. that everybody remembers as a kid? I've got to tell you. Like peanut butter and jelly. So talk about taste <laughs> memory. I yeah. go to the restaurant. I have this amazing meal with my friends. He's throwing out dish after dish, one better than the next. And I thought, dessert? I can't, there's no room for it. Oh. Talk about, like, a dessert bomb in your mind, like a peanut butter and jelly Sunday. Margaret, you have to go and we have to have Definitely, because your dessert here today, the chocolate one, was so good, too. Oh, that was outstanding. You. Oh, and I, you'd mentioned sesame, and I loved reading about how one of your first memories and experience in the kitchen was like, was it grinding sesame yes. seeds? Can yeah. you tell us about that? Sure. Um, at, at our house, um, I mean, I feel old now describing. So there was no gas stove in Korea. Mm. So we had to light up coals and put it under a, basically a floor and we would heat up things that way. But in order for you to get flavor out of sesame seeds, you have to kind of bring out the oils. Ooh. So in order for you to do that, just put it in a pan and you would just roast it slowly until you hear popping. So once it pops, it releases the oil then my first job was take that and use a motor and pestle and just grind it until you make it into a paste. Wow. Then we would add oil to it to get sesame oil that way. That is amazing. And is, is this an ingredient in one of your sauces? I feel like these seven sauces, Jamie, are like the seven wonders of the world. Oh, they're yes. like the mother sauces. In <laughs> yes. It is. It is. Yeah. Um, but we wanted people to get find out the secret. You know, everybody wants a secret or a secret menu. This is kind of letting the pages open, kind of demystifying, you know, Asian food and being able to, to be able to cook out of it yes. every day. It's, it's a daily thing, not, you know, specialty. Well, I feel like, you know, what's great about this book and about this project, number one, it's a, it's a beautiful book and I can't wait to use it. Number two, it's really going to open up the minds. Like you said, you know, when people are at home, uh, especially Americans, they are a little bit intimidated to cook Asian yeah. food. Yes. Yeah. And I think, I think this book helps take that intimidation away. Yeah. You know, because you've really laid it out in simple forms. The great thing about it, I think you call it the matrix. Yes. Where, you know, Bill in his book shows you what you can do with basic leftovers. Yeah. Tell us That's about that. That's great. Sure. Um, I think people want like a roadmap of 
how to do something. And really, uh, I gave examples of how to use leftovers or salad or bowl ideas using some of the things that you might have uh, cooked a little bit more of. Or if you have a little bit of master sauces left over, you just take a piece of avocado and a Korean pesto and just add two tablespoons to a half avocado, which you might just have around. Or you might have hummus around and you add little bit of the lemongrass sauce from the book. And now you kind of intensified it or you give it another layer of yeah. flavor. I noticed what you did today with the salmon. You had some beautiful salmon in the showroom today and you had all of your sauces pre-made and people were having all these different experiences with all these different sauces. Yeah. And I imagine having these sauces pre-made in your refrigerator, you can have them at home and take a simple roasted chicken and some greens and make something amazing. Yeah. To, to, to what I, I like to call it enhancers right. in, in enhance everything that you already do. Everybody has their favorite recipe. My wife has two quinoa with chicken and quinoa with shrimp. Right. So she has those, but she's going to take out one or three of the sauces and add, and it builds and layers the flavor. So I think somebody in the party said, it's all about the sauce. And it is all about the sauce. And all about yes. the sauce. Yeah. And you give the secrets of the sauce in your new cookbook. So yes. that is going to be great. I'll make sure we have a link to that. A couple of quick questions with Chef Jean Boucher, yeah. uh, very much beloved here, the Jean Boucher Awards. Mm-hmm. What lesson did you learn from him that you still apply in your own kitchen? I think it's um, he had the drive I've, I've never seen before. He used to come at like five in the morning before anybody and he would make everything and walk away. And we were just like, what did he make? How did he do that? And, um, you know, the important thing was he had that dedication to his craft Yes. and for him to be able to show some of those secrets to us, it was, um, very rare for, to, to have that kind of, uh, interaction with somebody. Then later on in life, as I became a chef, then we uh, related differently. I was no longer uh, a student, but almost a peer. And you don't get that opportunity to have that kind of interaction with somebody. So he actually invited me to his house. We got to eat canned lentils. He served us with duck confit. And it's it wasn't so much about the meal. It was about the interaction that I had with somebody that I consider a mentor and be able to sit down and have a meal with them. And that was a a lasting experience that I still carry to this day. And speaking of mentors, I think it's really important for a chef, especially a silver haired chef, like you're becoming to share, (laughs) to share, you know, I always love to inspire the youth. And I think that especially people that are, or um, people that are just starting out in the culinary business. It's a hard business, and it's a, it's a, it can be a, a rewarding and difficult life as yeah. well. If you were to shed some light on, on, on the young, budding chefs of today, the chefs that are going to be watching this, any words of advice, wisdom? I think you got to be a, a ferocious reader, uh, a ferocious learner, um, and go out. You know, you might not have hundred dollars in your pocket, but you could still have a dining experience at your local, uh, hole in the wall place. So develop your palate, 
Just don't do it on YouTube. Actually, go out there and taste maybe a euro, or go to an ethnic restaurant and really experience developing your palate. And I think that that starts the journey of wanting to cook. What is the story? How is the origin? Where does it start, and where does it finish? And so you are being curious. Ask questions. There is no question that is too too big or too small. Ask a lot and be a sponge. And I think that's where you have to start. Be open minded.、Mm-hmm. Um, I think in food, people want to put you in a category. Is it this food? Is it that cuisine? Is it how many stars and this? Let's break that mold. And you know, we always like to say, cook without borders,、mm-hmm. knowing the fact that you know the foundation, but cook without borders. Open your minds and see what people could come and what they could bring to.、Mm-hmm. Let's hear the stories about food and be open-minded to have different people. In your kitchen, working with you, and different levels of experience. Because、mm-hmm. if if everybody's at that point where everybody's the same, that's not that's not what makes it exciting. Yeah, it's boring. Right. It is. It's boring. I always say too, as a chef, I think it's really important to go out and find some ingredients that you don't know about.、Mm-hmm. You know, maybe going to the market and buying star fruit or whatever it is that you've never used before, and take it home and. Experience and play with it. And I think that's really important too.、You've、I been, love that advice. And、yeah. you've been so helpful to me and my culinary journey. And foodie friends, you've joined us along the whole way. Two things I'd love to say. First of all, thank you for your heart of charity here on Kitchen Chat. As you know, we love the perfect pairing of charity and cuisine. And you reached out and and helped with Jimmy Bannis's、uh, mm-hmm. wonderful fundraiser for Puerto Rico. And I just. Applaud you for your participation and、oh, the、you. other chefs, and that it's so important to make sure you do look at opportunities to help、uh, Puerto Rico. They're still suffering there, and and you yeah. and exactly yeah, and and Chef Jamie, do you want to share with the listeners and viewers about your recent yeah, trips I'm, there? Yeah, I'm fortunate but, enough、yes. to work with、uh, the Middleby Corporation that has Celine Basul as their CEO, and with the Basul Dignity Foundation, we were able to go to Puerto Rico with our. Our refugee ovens and help people, but we were just in Haiti several weeks ago. And if you can think about reaching out and helping someone, and、um, a lot of times people don't know how to do that.、Right. They want to, but they don't know how to. But I had the opportunity to see just how bad the devastation is there, and the level of need that's there, and in Puerto Rico, but particularly any one of them,、um, Haiti, they're in really bad shape, and we need to do more as Human beings to help other human beings in situations like that—it was just mind blowing, mind blowing. So we were able to deliver some some stoves to some really amazing people in need. And、uh, I think as a chef, it's really important to give back, and the best way to give back is always, you know, through food. Absolutely, and to bring everyone to the table and to share a meal. And thank you, foodie friends, for all that you do. I know you send in some great projects you're working on. I want to encourage you and just thank you for reaching out as well to help others. And I love ending kitchen chat with. Because you're saying ask questions, so yes, I am on this culinary journey, still learning. 
What are three tips you would provide to the home chef about what they could do in their kitchen, especially in preparing Asian food? Sure. I think a lot of a lot of people when they think of Asian food is spicy. Mm-hmm. It's too spicy. It's、uh, overwhelming. You know, I think the secret is to have pleasantly spiced food without going over. So the heat level needs to be there, but not too much. And that's Charlie Schrader used to say: taste, taste. After you taste, taste some more.、Mm-hmm. I think that's. Thing that people don't do enough of,、right. they just follow the recipe and they put all the ingredients and in until somebody eats it. But you know, cooking is called cooking because it changes and you adjust and taste the food and and as you start cooking more and using recipes, you're gonna learn that、hmm. that adjusting, tasting, and be patient. Great that's, that's great advice、yes. from, the, from the Buddha himself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much, Chef Bill Kim or Bill Kimchi. We should call <laughs> you for that. Thank you so much, and this was just so much fun.、It、I'm really fun. enjoying was, was these kitchen chats and the Viking and La Cornu、um, showroom here at the Merchandise Mart in Chicago Suite 137. You can always see Chef Jamie Larita here. Yes, and it's been a pleasure to have. Uh, the opportunity to invite other chefs in. I always say, you know, more flavor is more flavor, yeah. right? Yeah, and、exactly. um, today I learned a lot from from Chef Bill Kim. And thank you again for coming in. And thank you, Margaret, for having us both on today as your guests.、Oh. And.、Um, It's been amazing. Well, thank you, thank and you. thank you, dear foodie friends, for joining me on this culinary journey. Make sure you visit me in my kitchen often, kitchenchat.info, and also always remember to take a moment and savor the day. Thanks for joining Margaret for Kitchen Chat today. Margaret would be so excited for you to drop by and visit with her at kitchenchat.info, where you'll enjoy podcasts, blogs, recipes, tips from chefs, and even great giveaways. She invites you to share your recipes and kitchen stories too. As Margaret always says, savor the day.